Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Wednesday, April 19th in Hong Kong, Tuesday, April 18th in New York. And coming up today, two Fed officials offer divergent views on future rate hikes. Goldman Sachs traders failed to capitalize on Wall Street's fixed income boom. Netflix reports both subscriber growth and earnings below street expectations. Fox News decides to settle with Dominion just before opening arguments. Parking garage collapse in lower Manhattan. Senate subcommittee doubles down on COVID Wuhan lab origin theory. I'm Ed Baxter with Global News. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. Netflix got off to a slow start to the year, adding about 1.75 million customers in the first quarter. Investors were expecting a figure more like 2.4 million customers. Netflix also predicted it will generate lower sales and profit in the current quarter than what analysts had forecast. We heard from John Ehrlichman, anchor of BNN Bloomberg's The Open. It is really shifting to be a business that in many ways has already told us they are transitioning. Uh, there are cost controls right now. Shutting down their, their DVD by mail business is one example of, of cost controls. Password sharing crackdowns is another. I mean, arguably that could bring in more subscribers, but even looking at Bloomberg's breakdown uh, in markets like Latin America, maybe that's the kind of development that loses you. A little bit more on that comment there from uh, Mr. Ehrlichman that Netflix will begin cracking down this quarter on U.S. viewers who share someone else's account. And we saw the overall numbers improve actually in Canada after a little bit of a rough start to that. Separately, Netflix added just 100,000 customers in the U.S. and Canada after losing about a million customers last year. The Asia Pacific region continues to be Netflix's biggest source of new customers. The service added 1.46 million customers there in the first quarter. And that is thanks to lowering prices in India. We have very big movement in uh, Netflix shares in after hours. Doug uh, came out around 12% down and at the moment uh, trading off just about 1% or so. Hmm. So a rather uh, big recovery uh, uh, later in the session. A curious move. Meantime, we have two Fed officials offering divergent views on the future interest rate hikes. On one side, the head of the Atlanta Fed, Rafael Bostic is favoring just one more 25 basis point rate hike. Then he wants the Fed to pause and hold the Fed funds rate just above 5%. There's still more work to be done, and I'm ready to do it. I, I, yeah. I think that uh, after the next move, uh, if, the, if the data come in as I expect, uh, we will be able to hold there for quite some time. 
The Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic there speaking with CNBC separately today. We heard from the head of the St. Louis Fed, Jim Bullard. He is arguing for two more rate hikes. Bullard told Reuters he's favoring getting rates. This would be the Fed funds rate to a range of between five and a half percent to five and three quarter percent. He also said fears of recession are simply overblown, which Bostic, by the way, said it wasn't his baseline either. Neither Bostic nor Bullard votes, though on monetary policy this year. Goldman Sachs traders failing to capitalize on the fixed income bonanza that we've seen the rest of Wall Street enjoy over the last quarter. Goldman reported fixed income trading revenue that declined 17% in the first quarter. However, it was said to be the third biggest in the past decade. The bank also offloaded a chunk of its roughly $4 billion Marcus loan book, which led to a $440 million reserve release. Goldman's profit was higher than what analysts had expected, but earnings were still down 19% from a year earlier. Even so, on an earnings call, CEO David Solomon said, it appears the worst of the volatility is behind us. While it's impossible to predict the exact form a market stress will take, and we won't always execute perfectly, our risk management culture, strong liquidity, and robust capital position have allowed us to navigate a complex environment while also continuing to actively support our clients. Shares of Goldman Sachs slumped as much as 4% after the results were announced. Bank of America reported first quarter profit above estimates, primarily driven by revenue from fixed income, along with currency and commodities trading. Overall revenue unexpectedly up nearly 30% to a total of $3.4 billion. Meantime, deposits were down much less than expected as customers moved funds to B of A following the collapse of those three smaller regional banks. Here's Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan speaking to analysts on the conference call. As you think through all the tightening actions of the Fed, the flows to alternative yielding assets, investments, and the disruption of the past quarter, our deposits continue to perform well, ending the quarter at one point. $91 trillion. If you think about it, that's about the same balance as we had in mid-October of 2022. So we've seen these balances stabilize and remain 34% above they were in prior to the pandemic. Brian Moynihan there, the chief executive of Bank of America. B of A saying the first quarter saw positive returns in credit markets overall and that the bank's business was firing on all cylinders. Today, B of A shares were up just about six-tenths of one percent. We saw Apple shares trade up about three quarters of a percent in this session to 166.47. Apple is doing whatever it can to drum up excitement and sales of its upcoming mixed reality headset. Bloomberg's Tom Busby has more on that. Apple now racing to boost interest in its mixed reality headset, which will blend virtual and augmented reality, forecast to make its debut at Apple's Developers Conference in June and go on sale later this year. It's Apple's first all-new tech product since the Apple Watch debuted eight years ago. It's expected to retail for upwards of $3,000. So the iPhone maker is now building a whole bunch of software for the unit, including gaming, fitness, wellness, and meditation apps, as well as new versions of existing features found on the Apple iPad and a new service for watching sports. Tom Busby, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. Rashad Salamat will join us in a few moments. So we had the earnings, the bank earnings. We've gotten through quite a few now, and I suppose we can say that the earnings seem to show that nothing's really broken, but do we need to add the word yet 
dead. <laughs> it's very interesting you should say that because it was a curious day in the bond market. And we had some mixed economic news here in the U.S. The New York Bank, uh, Fed Bank survey of business activity was down in the month of April, but less than the market was expecting. Housing starts, though, for single family homes up in the month of March by 2.7%. So a little bit of cross currents. But then you look at the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now Index reading. It suggests, Brian, that GDP growth in Q1 mm. may come in at around 2.48%. That's still pretty good, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's just really interesting that it, it doesn't seem like we're seeing any signs of recession now. However, we have this long-running inversion in the yield curve, which sort of screams out that there is trouble ahead. Uh, so it's it's sort of like... You know, waiting. I don't know if we're waiting or if we're just, you know, kind of um, hoping that things uh, resolve themselves before we get there. Let's talk a little bit about Netflix, because that was a, a, a much awaited earnings release. Um, the company seems to be struggling a little bit uh, here. It has I, we mentioned that it avoided a big collapse. So they apparently liked what they heard uh, on the call. But there's still a number of challenges there. You know, you've got the, the crackdown on the shared passwords. That's something that may eventually play out in their favor, but it's a difficult road. To, to go down in the initial stages. You've got heavy competition in streaming, and it's still difficult to attract new subscribers. Yeah, and Netflix saying today it's going to ship the last of those red DVD envelopes in September. That's 25 years of mailing shows through the U.S. Postal Service. That's going to come to an end in September. That's unbelievable. I, I'll probably show you my innocence. I didn't even <laughs> realize they were still doing that. I, yeah. I've lived abroad for such a long time. I'm amazed that they were still actually doing that. Anyway, it's time for Global News. There's been a tragic parking garage collapse in lower Manhattan. Ed Baxter has the story from the San Francisco 960 newsroom. Ed? Yeah, Brian, and they're still developing. Rescue crews are working on getting people out from a parking structure that collapsed in lower Manhattan. This on Ann Street near Nassau, near Pace University. There is at least one person dead, at least five injured, one missing. Authorities say at least six parking garage workers have been rescued so far. The upper level of the three-story building collapsed, sending the cars inside crash down. I'm just watching a, a video uh, link on it. They're using robots to actually go in to uh, take a look at the structure itself and to see if it can find anybody who may still be within the structure. Fox News has agreed to settle the Dominion defamation lawsuit. The agreement reached just after the jury was selected and before opening arguments. Dominion has claimed that it was defamed by airing bogus claims that it rigged the 2020 election against Donald Trump. Dominion CEO is John Polis. Fox has admitted to telling lies about Dominion that caused enormous damage to my company, our employees, and the customers that we serve. Nothing can ever make up for that. And Dominion attorney Justin Nelson says a point coming out. For our democracy to endure for another 250 years and hopefully much longer, we must share a commitment to facts. Now, the settlement for $787 million, but Bloomberg's Wendy Benjaminson says for Fox, it avoids a, a long, embarrassing trial, and for Dominion... And maybe they just didn't want to go through the expense of a long, a long and highly public trial. You're absolutely right that it is totally in Fox's interest to settle, rather than get their best-known stars on the stand where everyone would be glued to their sets watching every word they say. Yeah, so you won't see Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, or Rupert Murdoch on the stand. She says it'll be interesting 
interesting to see how Fox does address news going forward. Fox has issued a statement saying the settlement reflects its continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. New Senate Health Committee report is doubling down on the theory that a China lab leak is the origin of COVID. Republicans very strongly saying there is a total lack of transparency. The chair of the select committee on the pandemic, Senator Brad Wentrup. While the specific origin of COVID-19 may not be 100% clear, there's mounting evidence suggesting a research or lab-related incident. Uh, Wenstrup saying China dodges and ducks every legitimate attempt to investigate the question. Hong Kong has fallen behind rival Singapore in the ranking of the world's wealthiest cities. The number of millionaires in the region dropped 27 percent over 10 years, while the city-state grew 40 percent. The U.S. has topped China with 10 of the richest cities in the world. Top 10, New York, Tokyo, San Francisco, Bay Area, uh, London, Singapore, Los Angeles, Hong Kong, Beijing, Shanghai. High and Sydney. Now, this is not based on percentage of population. It should be noted. It is just based on raw numbers. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Brian Curtis and Rishad Salama. Joining us now is Michael Cagino, President and Portfolio Manager at the Permanent Portfolio Family of Funds. Michael, we've been kind of treading water here a little bit, uh, waiting on something. What are we waiting on? Good morning, guys. Um, this is a tightrope. I mean, um, for for every bullish scenario, there's a bearish scenario, and and I think the markets. Um, reflecting that, um, you know, I'm not sure what we're waiting on. More, more information, I guess, would be probably the broad answer that we can then further figure out a directional trend. And, and I just don't think that's available right now. Well, yeah, but so the thing is, you know, we've got, uh, of course, Rafael Bostic, the Atlanta uh, Fed president, suggesting that we're going to have, well, one more uh, rate hike, then we're going to go into a pause. I think that's been priced in already. Would you not agree? So I guess people, bulls and bears, want something more. I, I do believe that most of the market believes that we're pretty close, if not already there, in terms of interest rate hikes. I think the momentum and in inflation numbers is downward, so they're probably roughly at neutral, whether it's one rate hike or two at 25. They're roughly at neutral right now. Then it becomes a question of how much they want to step on the gas to uh, raise rates and get us down to that 2%, and how quickly. And I think... You know, there's an issue there. Depending on how aggressive they want to get to 2%, that's where the recession risk probably goes up. I, I would argue that they're probably close to just sitting pat for the moment, seeing how the economy adjusts to all this. Um, I don't think you can have a real deep recession without employment 
falling off a cliff, and that hasn't happened yet. Corporate mm-hmm. earnings to date have not reflected falling off a cliff either. So the economy is adjusting to this higher cost of capital at some level um, at the moment. But, but I would stress at the moment, there are broader factors out there, tightening of the Fed's balance sheet, uh, how quickly savings um, numbers are coming down and people are spending savings, whether growth and employment continues or starts to contract. So those would be things to watch going forward. Well, and also a reacceleration of inflation. I mean, it doesn't seem that likely. It seems like the more likely scenario would be just this slow grind lower that doesn't really please anybody, but it's kind of moving in the right direction. But is there a chance, at least a wild card chance, that inflation could reaccelerate core inflation? Yep. Uh, we've been saying for a while, we don't know the answer to this, but our concern was that we would, you know, you had a tsunami of money uh, that washed over the economy over the last several years in the trillions. And that wave hit, it flooded everything, and now it's receding. And, um, and that would be expected. What we have done, though, is we've increased, whether it's spending or the budget bill in December, the Inflation Reduction Act, climate spending, et cetera. You've created an additional potential wave of, of stimulative impact that hasn't really hit the economy yet. And so that could basically slow the reduction of inflation. So you have this scenario where all the things being equal, inflation would probably continue to trend down. But because you've got new spending, and, and I would say that neither the full effect of the interest rate hikes have been felt in the economy, nor any potential stimulus effects of, of stimulus programs having been felt in the economy. You, you have this scenario where you're, you're in the middle and you don't really know what direction it's going to go. And, and I think the market is there. Um, I think trading reflects it. There's not a lot of volatility because I think there's not enough evidence of a full-blown recession, nor are there, is there evidence of a full-blown growth track um, you know, out there. And Netflix today was a rather interesting report. It wasn't necessarily, it was not a growth story. It wasn't a bad report, but it was not a growth story, and it was not indicative of a company that's trading at a P.E. of 30. Um, you would expect better earnings results and revenue results and forecasts for a company trading at that P.E. Um, in this environment, and that wasn't there. So, uh, you know, a lot of uncertainty right now. Michael, I, you know, one thing is credit as well. I, you know, the thing is, this is uh, an emerging story. I mean, it's already uh, hit the banks. We've seen that already. But a story which caught my eye, uh, I, I was uh, Wells Fargo issuing, what, uh, three and three quarter billion dollars worth of 11-year bonds earlier. Now, it's paying 180 basis points over treasuries. Okay, it, it, Wells Fargo is arguably the, big, the weakest of the big four in terms of capital ratios. Uh, you know, the question one has to wonder is, well, how much will smaller banks have to say uh, have to pay, and what will that tell us about loan spreads ahead? Well, there's a lot packed into that comment. I mean, I, you know, if they're willing to go out 10 years, then they must feel like, um, you know, the interest rates are reasonable in the circumstances. If you're issuing debt instead of equity, it's not as dilutive. Um, so, and maybe they feel like it's a good time, it's stable, so that they can raise some additional capital if they need it. I, I'm not sure what it, we don't own well, so I can't specifically speak to their circumstances, but capital raises in general, I think we could see more of them in, in financial services. Um, just as a precaution, if you have a stable cost of capital, um, you know, if times get good later on, you can always pay it down quicker. And So uh, it sounds and, like... 
It, it sounds like from your vision of the world, Michael, that you'd be pretty comfortable being diversified between stocks and bonds here and just allow some time to go by and collect your 4.5% coupons. We've been very comfortable doing very little, actually. I mean, for us, an active decision sometimes is to not do much of anything. And so we, we haven't been big buyers of equities um, into strength. Um, we haven't bought a huge amount when they've sold off. We've kind of we're happy with our allocations. We've nibbled at energy, some financial services um, on on down days, um, but we you know we have exposure to equities. We like companies with um, that can control pricing power and can control their cost structure. And we like macro stories like energy and commodities for the long term because we are we do think out multiple years in our portfolio. We also have a healthy dollop of gold. Um, given the uncertainty of the financial system, of the market, of the Fed possibly being done, maybe cutting, maybe not, um, I think gold is reflecting uh, the move of where we are right now and could go a lot higher. Um, and then on the bond side, we are still relatively short duration um, yeah. in investment-grade corporates and treasuries. So we're, we're about three years and in. Um, okay. So we... You know, we're, we're getting income, but we're not going too far out on the duration curve. Yeah, sounds about right. Michael Cagino, thanks very much for joining us. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.